Welcome to a new episode of Craft Beer Conversations, where the beer and the conversation is always on me. The Holiday Market in downtown Royal Oak is one of Michigan's finest grocery stores and boasts one of the best selections of craft beer, spirits, and wine, both from near and far. We're talking hundreds of different beers and thousands of different wines, along with a deep stack selection of spirits. I wandered through a dizzying array of alcohol selection to find beer director Ashley Price, who explained to me how he keeps track of it all, what to expect in the future, and some dry January options. We walked through earlier, and I mean, you've got how many cases, you say, at a time? I would say between 800 and 1,000 go a week. So what's it like being in charge of wrangling all of that in? I mean, you have to know... Maybe not down to each shelf, but I assume that you do exactly what you have, when it's going to go, and how you're going to replace it, right? I mean, there are no gaps on that shelf, and so I just yeah. I, I wonder what it's like wrangling all that in. I, uh, realistically, it was progressive. I've been doing this for 13 years, and I mean, at the beginning of that 13-year process, it was... Uh, we have 300 different beers and you know it wasn't a big deal it's just easy keep going things run out okay you don't have things to replace them with usually that hole on the shelf is just a hole on the shelf and then as you go along all of a sudden it's four five six i think we're somewhere near seven seven hundred fifty or eight hundred beers and it just comes along and you just get used to doing it and then all of a sudden here we are and it's it's pretty easy now to nail down what's there how long it's been there and what i need to replace it with when it goes what have you noticed during the pandemic? I mean, if you look at statistics, packaged liquor sales, whether it's beer, wine, spirit, they're through the roof. Have you guys felt that over the last six, nine months? And how have you adjusted? Yes, normally in um, this time of year, it, as you saw downstairs, it's a little bit slower, which is actually fantastic. A break is needed. But in March, when the pandemic began, we saw an uptick unlike anything that we've seen at that time of the year, and it didn't quit. Usually we get a little bit of a lull. It's through several times of the year, usually in January, right after St. Patrick's Day in March, and then it doesn't fire back up until the end of May, Memorial Day. And then it kind of keeps on throughout the rest of the summer, and then we kind of get a lull right after kids go back to school, and then we pick back up again for the holidays. That's the normal progression. This past year, we started uptick in March like crazy, and we just kept it on. Unfortunately, for us, there became huge supply problems. In the beginning of the pandemic, when people were buying things, the way they were buying, we were unprepared for. Our normal sales consists of single cans, six packs here and there, four pack cans, that type of thing. Usually our purchases are kind of like one and done. They buy different things all the time. Uh, the way pandemic went at the beginning, people were buying 12 packs, 24 packs, 15s, and only those. And then packaged liquor was half gallons and liters. No one was buying small anything. Because they only wanted to come once, right? That's they didn't right. want to come back. Yep, they, they wanted to come once and not come back. Or And then all of a sudden we saw an influx, I, I'd say a month or two after the beginning, was Instacart and shoppers like crazy were coming in and buying for people. And then people were still buying multiple at a time, so they wouldn't have to do it every single week. It's changed and morphed quite a bit since that began and people got a little more comfortable coming back into the store our numbers when it came to people coming in the store were much lower but we still had shoppers personal shoppers like instacart and others that were coming in to shop groceries for people but there were still far less people in the store than we had before but we we're selling more product and 
marked more, markedly more, 30, 40% in some cases, beginning of the pandemic. And then as we kind of went through the summer, we saw people start to come back a little bit and become more comfortable coming into the store. So our six pack, four pack and single sales picked up back right about where they were, along with having large package sales. So the one didn't stop while the other continued. Correct. So then all of a sudden we're dealing with this thing where our our sales were up on a normal week at least 25% over last year, even during busy times. And the holidays really just were as busy as I've ever been here, specifically Christmas week. I've, it has never been as busy as it was for me Christmas week. So as, as things have changed, you mentioned things like, you know, Instacart shopping and, and things like that. What what things that you've experienced during the pandemic do you think will stay, right? Like we talk about the things that the pandemic has changed and the things that we've started to do that we'll keep doing even when things go back to whatever normal is going to be. I mean, do you think it's more of like the Instacart? And if that's the case, what's it like? Because you're able to help people here in the yeah. aisle, but you're not going to help the Instacart shopper because they don't know what the... And so I, I wonder if, if it is the Instacart thing, like how you pivot a little bit. Not Not that you'll lose sales, but the ability to to reach out and help the customer, I think, especially when the selection is just so massive, is important. Yeah, it's just not the same at some point. So all of our beers are, all our products are online available to be looked at before purchase. So people really have to kind of know what they're looking for when they're looking online at home. So that makes it a little more difficult. And sometimes when, because of supplies and shortages and things like that have been going on, Instacart and other shoppers will come in and look for something specific and we won't have it. But then they're looking for best comparable. And then I'm dealing with them, texting the customer and then dealing with me. And then it's a longer process and they don't understand it either. So it's, it becomes a little more difficult. I honestly don't see this completely changing for a long time, quite honestly. I feel like some of this is gonna be adopted now. Um, shipped in Instacart are going to be things to stay because if you look levels up, I don't think people are going to go back to normal office work. So if you take that into consideration and they're going to be at home working, then this is way easier to take your lunch break and just, you know, put groceries in a cart and have someone else go get it and bring it to you. I mean, that seems like a fair estimation as to what things might continue to be. Lots of people will still come back, but I have a belief that we're still going to be half and half in the future right because there are still there's the element especially when it comes to i think wine and beer and spirits too there's like the it's fun to browse like you like to walk through the aisles right but maybe instead of doing it every time you'll do it every other time or some people will come back and some people won't come back and so so how do you is there something that you guys you feel like you need to do or that you will do to adjust to those changes or do you just keep making sure that the shelves are stocked the way they should be and it'll i feel like this is uh what we do now what we have done um seems to be working just fine and i don't feel like things are going to change to the fact it's it's really interesting to see our customer base shift a little bit so we are increasing sales in a, at a huge amount but we are benefited from being in a neighborhood and i think that that's part of it too because lots of people would shop when they left work and they may be in a different area and i feel like there's customers we don't see because they live somewhere else but used to work in an office in this area and that is completely switched now so lots of people that live in the area are shopping here and they're just coming straight here versus right after work stop somewhere close then hit it on the way home and it's it's just it's interesting thing what is actually happening when it comes to customers and our demographic when it comes to those shoppers so 
more or less here, you're the gatekeeper when it comes to what comes in and what doesn't. I know that a chunk of that is based on the distributor and certainly it's based on what your customers want, right? You, you want to put things in the hands of people that want them. But how do you, like how, should, well, we, one thing that I know being a, 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 a novice and amateur is that shelf space when it comes to beer especially is ultra competitive people are i know maybe it's different at Meyer. people are throwing haymakers to get on there but how do you decide i know that you have a lot of space but you only have so much of it and clearly there are there's more beer than what you have space for yeah. so how do you decide what goes where and how long it it stays or if you bring it back or i just i want to your th- i asked this question to brewers like what do you think about when you're creating, like when you're going to make this beer, like what goes through your head? And so I think to you, it's like, what do you think about when you, when you, what do you imagine when you walk up and down the aisles and how you decide, you know, what comes? This isn't, a, I know, my thoughts behind this is, um, <laughs> not a lot of people are going to agree with me on this, but I honestly think that most, if not all the beer made now because of technology, because of the increases in quality and everything else that we're looking at probably the best products that can be on the shelf at any given time there's almost no bad there is bad beer out there but there's just so little of it and it's really hard to tell what's bad it's you know it's it's up to you it's up to me decide what's bad but that's that's the thing so you're looking at at that point if quality is equal and prices are about the same ish here and there you're looking at marketing so i I think that's a large part of it is it depends on what what kind of beer is it what does it sound like what is it what are the beers like it that have been moving well or not moving and I, i think that that helps me make decisions depending on what i'm thinking about when it comes to that in relation to other beers like it and i always take precedence over feelings or thoughts for the most part so i need information from other people and i gain every every piece of information i possibly can when thinking about what beers to bring in and what we're going to carry and what's going to move and there's certain styles that people will offer me that i'll just be like i just don't think that that's going to do well here i will almost always give something a shot but if i can see it's not doing well i'm not going to continue to order it i will replace it with maybe something else from the same brewer if i like what they've been doing in the past but maybe it'll be somebody else and maybe give them a shot i use hype a lot because there's Tons of social media groups that like to talk about a lot of stuff. And fortunately, they're very vocal about what beers they like and they don't like. So that makes the decision making a little easier, too. And I follow very closely to what they're talking about. And so so and I don't want to call them gimmicks, but like so you talk about like the marketing and I, I find that so interesting. So I, I think about it. And I know I saw it when I was walking around on this. Something like, <clears throat> excuse me, something like Smooge, right? Mm-hmm. That's it's different. And, and when it came out, people just could not stop talking about it because of how different it was and and so do you so when that kind of stuff the buzz that it generates people think oh it's just it's it's online this or online, but it, but it doesn't because it moves the needle in those groups and it moves people out into breweries and stores like this and so i think that it, you you would have to pay attention to that kind of stuff right i mean because mm-hmm. again it, it's up to you but you the people you have to give the people to a certain extent or or totally what they want Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the people to tell me what they want me to sell them. And I mean, it's, it's that simple. That's all sales is. Like, what do you want me to sell you? And what, specifically when it comes to selection, that's always changing. You kind of have to figure out what makes the most sense and what people are going to come after. I mean, I think we have, we got a gummy bear sour from City Built today. And I mean, that's, that was a no brainer. That's one of those things that people are looking for that kind of thing. Oh, you threw candy in there with the sour beer? Yeah, I'm interested. And it's just like when it comes to sweet stouts and things like that. And Smooge was just so different. It's a similar kind of thing that 
it's a smoothie, but it's a seltzer, so, and, but the price point's really high, so you have to be able to appeal to the right audience. And they had already set, they, they already set that foundation when they started coming out with these flavors six, eight months ago, whenever they started them. So they had already created the buzz and the target audience. So really all I had to do was put it in the store and people were gonna come get it. So it's about broadening that audience at this point, but you already have captive audience that not everyone has had it yet. So that's great. So and, and I, I so I have to, I'm gonna make an assumption here and forgive me if it's not correct, but like I assume that because you see things, it's almost like you can see the future when it comes to beer. You can spot trends, and you have to, right? It's it's part of you're talking about give people what they want. But I but I feel like because of the volume that you see, like can you tell? Like can you see if if you had to guess six, eight, twelve months out, like what's next? People are always trying to figure out what's next, and I wonder if because of the volume of beer that you see. If, if you have a more clear answer to that than somebody that's brewing from one corner of a brewery, and no offense to them at all, it's just they have a singular view, but you have this, this view from like 30,000 feet almost. Yeah. And so I wonder like it, it, upcoming trends, like, you know, obviously Seltzer has just been unbelievable. And you and I were, and maybe it's, maybe it's NA beer. You and I were talking about that downstairs and the evolution of that. So I just, I wonder like, what's the next Seltzer? I honestly don't know. I've been wrong about a few things in the past. Just I, I, I bucked the seltzer trend initially, and I said, there's no way. I'm not going to try and sell that. No. And then I said, you test the market and then come back to me if it's selling. And this was White Claw at the beginning. And I said, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to try it. And then all of a sudden, he's like, you need to bring this in. So I did. We tried it. And obviously, it's a huge thing now. And uh there's yeah there's i i think i guessed that we had one of these panels a few years ago and i guessed that saisons would make a strong comeback i think i was more hoping than being correct about that but i like what your head is uh yeah right i i knew that i i saw the pilsners were coming through i knew that was going to happen the lagers it was bound to happen that's pretty much the um the full circle when it comes to craft beer enthusiast is you start big and then you end small and everyone pretty much ends on pilsners and honestly saisons and really kind of easy drinking low alcohol things so it kind of it made sense that we were going to get there eventually but more high quality ones were needed and i'm seeing them at good price points so that's that's going to be a strong category to years to come i mentioned na beers tell me about dry january and how you guys prepare for it as far as what you pick up ahead of time i know you have a wide variety of na beers but it goes beyond that too and so i'm curious like after an NA beer, what else do people want? Yeah, so I, um, I'm in several NA groups online to try and field what was going on. I saw the IRI data and reports from last year said it was up, I think it was 25% mid-year. It was in, I, just the things I gained from, I, I found out about Athletic from an NPR broadcast. And then I reached out to them and said, hey, can you guys bring us? And I ended up getting direct shipments from them. Um, there's several ways that I kind of look into it. So there's an NA spirits group too. So all replacements for that. So ritual Seedlip was the big one. And Seedlip was purchased by Diageo, which is another obviously huge company. And we, I knew that was going to make some waves and it sounded like this is going to be a growing market. So that, and then the Lagunitas hop refresher were kind of the ones that really dragged me in. And these were all things that really moved well. And I kind of took guesses on some of them, specifically the spirit side. Wasn't sure how that was gonna go. Pricing being a little high and really, honestly, 
pretty comparative, comparable price-wise to its alcoholic partners without the alcohol. So I wasn't sure how receptive people would be to that. And it's the same thing with the beers, but the beers are so close to me in how they are marketed and taste-wise that those make the most sense. Out of the things that are NA, those make the most sense as being direct com- comparable, directly comparable. And then so what, what outside of of beer, right? Yeah. Because you guys have more than just NA beer, right? There are other, yeah. if, I, if I'm participating in Jai January and I don't drink beer. Yeah, okay. So you've got, um, wow, we got several things. So I would say kombucha is a big part of it. Um, hop water, obviously. Um, the non-alcoholic spirits that we have. Um, there's sodas that are now have adaptogenics and different things that are, that are good for you. Fibers, dietary, plant fibers. Olipop is one of those. It's like healthy soda? Is yeah, like a- essentially, yeah. Two two to five grams of sugar per, per can, but deliciously flavorful and just really good for you. And then you've got um, all the cool selection of cold brew coffees and things like that that are now available in various amounts, honestly. Uh, you said any spirits? Is that, uh, forgive my ignorance, is that like a- like a thing? Spirit replacements, yeah. So um, Seedlip is the biggest company. I was kind of describing their um, gin replacements, um, pretty much. They have three different brands, but they're herbal, floral, like that total juniper. Like juniper. Some, I think one of them does. Yeah, they're, they're meant to, to replace that. So if you're making a cocktail or a mocktail, then you could have something that tastes like that. There's uh, whiskey replacements, Ritual and Liars, both make them. And um, there's all sorts. Liar specifically has an entire catalog of spirit replacements. I, and I just, I guess I, I, I don't, I'm not a non-believer. I just, I, I guess I don't, what does it, what does it take? If, because part of, and I'm not a liquor expert by any stretch of the imagination, but there's like two things you get when you drink it. One, the flavor, but two, you get that like, there's get alcohol in it. The burn. Yeah. Yes. And so like, I, is it just not that and everything else uh, some of them try to replace them so um it burns too i haven't had right so to a certain extent for a reason so uh like the liars has what i think is a combination of cinnamon and one other spice to give it a little bit of a bite right at the end i'm not sure about the others but i know that one obviously specifically says it on the bottle what spice combination or one or the other and then there's that's what they try to do to replicate the that part of it and then the rest of the flavor is some of them do put oak chips in or age them on different things it's a little easier to do it that way but for the most part it's just done with florals spices and different things like that essences and so this is this is a beer podcast but i'm I'm always curious especially now after i walked through about what other what else is happening around in the space and you guys have a huge wine selection and you said that that was your your big your biggest section of if it was a three-piece pie right you said mm-hmm. wine was the the biggest of the three what is it like and i asked you this downstairs but uh, but i'm still curious what is it like getting the right wine into the right hands there are so many variants there are so many labels there are so many options and and not only you know from california or from europe but from here too right from mm-hmm. from northern michigan so i just I wonder. It's one thing in beer where there are var- there are variants, but 
it's nothing like wine, where the, 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 the scope, the range, the spectrum is just almost endless, it seems. I feel like the concept is the same. So with wine, beer, and liquor, all what you're looking for is what the person's tastes are. So we have to ask specific questions in order to ascertain what they like and what they don't like. And then from there, pretty much any grape or varietal can fit into that based on a certain assumptions. So all we need to do is ask the right questions and we should get the right answers to get them to the right wine. But sometimes, like I said, it is trial and error and it is difficult to get to what people like because sometimes they don't know. So sometimes they need to find the right words to explain it to us and they don't have them right away. So to me, that would be like, so let's say I'm buying wine. We have a, my wife and I have an almost five-year-old. It's like a pediatrician where the kid is sick, but he can't exactly explain mm-hmm. to you what's wrong with him or a veterinarian. You got to figure it out. How do you, how, and you, you, you say it's the same, but how do you approach that customer? Because like craft beer is great and spirits and, but it, it can be intimidating, especially in a space like this where there's just so much of it. How do you take, whether, no matter what it is, how do you take that like intimidation factor away? Is it just through having the knowledgeable people on the floor Absolutely. working through to make sure people, even if they can't articulate what they want, it can be interpreted. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It, it involves a conversation and having the right people in place to be able to talk to, to the customers. And I mean, really that's all it involves with making them comfortable in my opinion. Cause yeah, just having them just go hog, to be able to walk around the aisle by themselves, it can be daunting and difficult, specifically when you have 3,000 wines and you don't know what you're looking at. But for the most part, when people come in, they have some idea of what they like, so they gravitate towards certain sections. And then usually one of our customer service representatives will walk up to them and ask them a question, and usually that leads them to the right thing. There's so much going on. You guys have such a huge inventory. And where do you go from here, right? I mean, the, the industry is always evolving. Things are always changing. Like what's next for the the holiday market? How do you stay on top of, and you, you talk about being in groups and things like that, but I mean, beyond that, like how, how do you stay on top of what's happening, looking down the road for not only what styles are next, but doing the things that'll benefit sales and the business the most? Because I know that for this this business, the, the alcohol sales are a big chunk of it. Mm-hmm. Right, that that's a that's a an important thing. So I, I wonder, like, where does a place like this that already has so much going for it, like, where does it go? I mean, I certainly hope at some point we do some remodeling in our area just to make it in a more open and easily shoppable space. It is kind of tight, specifically in the beer and the liquor aisles, and that can be changed and morphed a little bit. And I feel like that would be a positive influence on what people decide to and not to decide to shop here. Um, Outside of that, I mean, we're all still developing relationships specifically with local producers to try and get more interesting products and do more interesting things, barrel selections, specialty wines, and, you know, uh, beers made just for us, which we have done lots of over the years. So I feel like we're just continuing to make those relationships stronger in order to get more of those types of things. Outside of that, that's just where... I feel like we're at right now. I can't think of anything else that would really benefit to grow what we're doing because it just, I don't know, at this point it feels like we're bursting. <laughs> that's, what, that, that's what I'm saying. And, but, but what you said, though, is exactly not what I was thinking, but, but you already answered the question. It was, it was in those relationships, right? It was mm-hmm. making sure that you have access to anything, everything, and only certain things that mm-hmm. maybe something made for you. And to me, that would be especially – 
again, when everything is just so wildly competitive and there are so many different things out there, I would think that you would have to go based. I mean, obviously, quality is, is first, but we said it earlier, there are so many things that are so close to each other. I would think the relationship aspect would be huge. Yeah. Because how yeah. else are you going to discern? I know you said you don't play favorites, but it's not about playing favorites to you. It's about playing favorites to the customer, right? Yeah. So I would think those relationships, for example, you Hop Slam, big day, right? Mm-hmm. A, a couple of days ago, Hop Slam is out. So I would think that relationship that you have with the quantity that you have is hugely beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And that really just happens to do with, honestly, our customers and they're buying it, buying Bells all year long. And uh, that's why we have it stacked in the aisle. That's why Bells has a big display that never goes anywhere stays right there because these types of things hop slam specifically but other um, allocated beers that come out from them that's still how they're doing things there's a lot of breweries that have opened up and become more liberal when it comes to that type of thing there's not uh, specifically founders and a couple other breweries where when they put out a, a limited beer it's limited in quotes it's not really there's a lot of it so I need to be more in tune, and I do. I sort of play favorites with the breweries that I really like and had relationships with for a long time. So here and there, it just kind of depends. It's like if they're making small allocated products, I'm gonna pay them a little more attention than I am to the guy that I can just turn to and be like, "Yeah, I'll just take as many as I want," kind of thing. That was my conversation with Holiday Market Beer Director Ashley Price. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss anything across the Metro Detroit craft beer landscape and beyond. Plus, you can always follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, all at Zach E. Clark. That's Zach with an H. You can see what I'm up to there. 